0: Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have as my guest, Kurt Friedel. He is the Associate Professor at Virginia Tech, and he is the Director of the Center of Cooperation for Problem Solving. Kurt, welcome.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Would you give 60 seconds on your background how you got here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Nebraska on a, on a cattle ranch and uh, I went to college to start teaching high school. And probably one of the most interesting questions I had in teaching high school was, uh, why are some of my students creative and how am I teaching creativity? And that led me to my doctoral studies uh, at University of Florida and uh, learned that there's this guy by the name of Dr. Michael Curtin from the UK, a British psychologist, who um, developed this theory of adaption and innovation. And uh, I kept in touch with him, uh, spent some time at some different universities, came to Virginia Tech in 2011 and started a center here at Virginia Tech, the Center for Cooperative Problem Solving to be the outreach of, of his work. So we teach a certification courses for the, using the KAI. We uh, have workshops that we offer and a graduate teaching certificate where we embed KAI into those graduate courses.
0: And what is KAI for those who are not familiar with it?
1: Yeah, KAI is an inventory. It's an aspect of our personality, uh, of which it measures. And uh, in short, it's, it's a measure of our problem-solving style. So oftentimes when we think about problem-solving, we think of problem-solving process, problem-solving techniques, problem-solving problem skills and capacity. But we're actually talking about a problem-solving style.
0: Very interesting. Okay, so let's go into a little bit of detail around um, problem-solving styles. What type of styles are there?
1: So we measure problem-solving style on a continuum between uh, 32 and 160. We follow a normal distribution curve, so bell curve if if you're not familiar with the statistical term. And uh, the means at 95, that crosses culture, ethnicity, and age. And people to the left of 95 to 32 are more adaptive and people to the right of 95 to 160 are more innovative. The stronger you get to the ends, the the stronger the preference and more adaptive individuals are people who prefer to think inside the box uh, with fewer ideas. But if you ask them for more ideas, they'll, they'll come up with more ideas. They prefer to tweak the system if the system isn't working and they prefer change in in evolutionary steps. People who are more innovative, uh, tend to think outside the box, uh, not necessarily because they're focused outside the box. They just don't see the box or aren't aware of the box all the time. (laughs) They prefer to swap out the system if the system isn't working and they prefer change revolutionary with, with less group conformity. And so that's the bare bones of, of the, uh, character traits.
0: So I'm putting my soul on the line here because I took the KAI, but I haven't seen the results. I can have a guess at where I think I might be. And judging by Kurt's uh, giggle earlier, I think I'm probably along the right lines. But we're going to go through my KAI as part of this process so that you can start to get a sense of how to use an inventory like this within your own business. But before we do, I'd like to really start out with your definition of what success is, because I suspect a lot of people have quite a fixed version of what success looks like. I'd be curious on your take.
1: You know, in academia, we we always talk about success, but, you know, how do you measure success? That's always a difficult thing to do. In popular culture, we we often equate success with innovation and uh in our world, that's a bit of a, a misnomer. We, People who are adaptive can be very successful. So the word innovation is often misused in popular press. In popular press, it's describing something that is uh, new, like a new process, new technique, new product, new service, and so on. But we can have adaptive new ideas. Thomas Edison is a great example of, uh, individual who developed a lot of new ideas by tweaking them to make them work and, and selling them really well. Um, so we can have adaptive new, adaptive novel, adaptive original ideas.
0: Interesting. And on the other end of the continuum?
1: Yeah. You can also have innovative new ideas and innovative original ideas. So yeah, we always have to include both both parts of the continuum when we're talking.
0: And does context affect where people fit on the continuum?
1: No, we know from 45 years of published research that situation doesn't seem to matter, culture, ethnicity, and so on. Now, we can all operate outside of our style. So with motive and self-awareness and insight, I can choose to be more adaptive or more innovative as the problem requires. But um, my preference is measured by the KAI and that's what I prefer to do. In the United States, we have this thing called a sleep number bed. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it over there, but it's a bed and, and you have a number and that's your comfort of how you prefer to sleep. So that you adjust the mattress on the firmness or softness that you want and that firmness or softness has a number. And it works well in equating this to it in the United States because that number doesn't measure your capacity for sleeping or how well you sleep or how long you sleep. It's just your preference for structure. And if I were to sleep in a number that is not my preference, it's a bit uncomfortable. And the same with KAI. If I were to operate in a score that's not my preference, it's a bit uncomfortable.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. So in the preamble to this, you said that sometimes describing innovation as a style does harm. How and why is that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When we're always talking about innovation as a capacity uh, and we're using the KAI, some people feel left out because they might be more adaptive and, and their perceived environment might be trying to get them more to be more innovative. And, and that's just wrong. If we're trying to get people to be something that they're not, we're causing psychological harm. And so we shouldn't all strive to be innovative with the definition of innovation that we're using with KAI. If you're more adaptive, you, that's your preferred style. It's a non-pejorative scale. There's, there's no better score Uh, There's no ideal. Every style has advantages and disadvantages. Um, So so I have advantages, disadvantages. I have enablings and and limits, just like you have enablings and limits with your score and your style.
0: Okay, so let's um, delve into my KAI. So in terms of what one can expect, what should my expectations be as a candidate?
1: So... Once we get your score, hopefully it has some meaningfulness to you. It's really about how you prefer to work with structure. Do you prefer to to swap things out, uh, think differently with ranging views, or do you prefer to think inside the box and, and uh, you're more aware of those structures than, than more people? So, and there's always two parts to it. There's how you identify as a creative individual, and that's your preferred style, but then it's also about who you are in the room with. And so, Uh, let's just say, for example, I'm a 110, and this is just hypothetically speaking, you're a 120 and we have a friend that's 130. As a 110, even though I identify as someone who's more creative, I'm the most adaptive person in the room. And you can do the same on the other side. So let's say I'm a a 70, you're a, a 60, and we have a friend that's a 50. Even though I identify as a more adaptive person, I'm the most innovative person in the room.
0: Okay, so now we've got that. As we look at the results, what should we be aware of in terms of our preferred style, in terms of how we take that awareness into our work?
1: Yeah, there's a couple parts. The first is recognizing who you are and your preferred style. There's also the recognizing of reality of the problem that needs to be solved and if you may need to cope to solve it, we can explain coping behavior here in a little bit. And also how people perceive you because they're on the continuum too. And we can map people out on this, on this continuum between 32 and 160. And uh, someone who's more innovative, they might see as, as someone who, you know, has a lot of great ideas or someone's a bit of loose cannon, depending on the attitude and the emotion. And, and someone who's more adaptive could be seen as very, proficient and efficient, or they can be viewed as as narrow-minded, depending on the emotion. So it's okay. about setting yourself in the environment.
0: Okay. Over to you. Talk me through it.
1: Yeah. So um, you, you've heard me talk about the, the scale and the, a bit of the character traits. And so I'll ask you, Marcus, what do you think your score may be? Or, or where do you think you would fall?
0: I would have thought, given that I tend to break things a lot, Uh, probably quite high on the inevitable side. I I do use adaptation a lot, but that's more of a later thing in my life. Normally, I'd be looking to reinvent the wheel. Now, I'll typically go, I'll ask myself, well, who does this really well? Then I'll ask them how they do it and then seek to improve it. But I'm constantly looking for what's new and shiny.
1: Yeah, yeah so your k a score because you've already taken it before the podcast is a one thirty nine so you were correct that's and it fine. does have a yeah you're very far on the continuum you're you're a strong innovator as we would say or, or very strongly innovative, so yeah you were chuckling, and that's usually the first insight when I'm talking to individuals if if i'm if I'm talking about the continuum and some of the character traits they, they have a little chuckle and it has amazing face validity. People see it all over the place, and so it's really revealing. So that that uh, once you find this out about yourself, you can really think more deeply about the problems you solve and and your limits and and where you're strong at, and and then you know bring about diversity. So you already know you have this uh, preferred style. So who can help you uh, be more adaptive when the problem requires?
0: Again, this is really important because. Um... My wife and I work together and she's normally the adult in the room, if I'm being perfectly honest, and she's very process orientated, able to get into the weeds very quickly. Now, in subjects that I'm interested in, I can get into weeds, but by and large, I tend to take a much bigger picture and see where things fit. So one of my core skills or strengths from the StrengthsFinder profile is ideation and being able to join the dots where other people can't. Is that something that you see with someone who has a higher innovative score?
1: That's a great question. So we are doing some research right now at Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech is a strength school, meaning every student, staff, faculty member can take the strengths if they want to. And uh, we'd love to do that research. Strengths is is a, is a bit different in, in how they measure because there's 34 talents. Yeah that you can have and they focus on the top five. So we need a lot more observations to do the data well, but theoretically it makes sense, right? But we gotta be careful. So there's a correlation between KAI and um, extroversion and introversion. It's not a strong correlation, but strong enough to to take notes. So where the more innovative prefer to be a little bit more extroverted or they're more likely to be extroverted. And there's also a stimulus aspect to that. So the more adaptive are, are more likely to be introverted. And so we got to be careful with ideation because th- that could play a part. So we, we just have to do the research to find out.
0: Okay. Tell me this, what kind of blind spots might someone at that end of the spectrum have?
1: So one way we sometimes articulate it is innovators see the patterns in the chaos, adapters see the chaos in the patterns. And so you're... You may be, and you'll probably, if you think back, Marcus, to even early childhood, you might remember some things because we we believe it's pretty stable and innate and connected to personality, um, just an unawareness of structure, not realizing where you're, you're stepping your bounds. You may be asking for forgiveness instead of asking for permission too often.
0: Yeah, there's a yeah. fair bit of that in my history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Seeing the patterns in the chaos. So I've certainly always looked for those patterns and I often find them. And when I try and explain them to people, they then say, what the hell are you talking about? So again, presumably that's not an uncommon experience for people at that end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, yeah. And really all over the spectrum because what we also know with KAI is if there's a 20-point gap between two people uh, anywhere along the continuum, we start seeing issues of, of being able to communicate with each other well, uh, work together, and trust each other because we're wanting to solve the problems differently. And incidentally, the standard deviation for the KAI is 18 points. So we're pretty close to that standard deviation of, of describing a different problem-solving style.
0: What do you mean by a standard deviation for those people who are not familiar oh, with
1: statistics? yeah. So so uh, what we call a standard deviation is with the normal distribution curve, how far away we are from that average mean. So if the mean is at 95, the standard deviation is a, is a unit of measurement to how far we can get away from that mean or the average KEI score, which is 95. Uh, so adaptive individuals have the same issue, right? They're describing things in their way, problem solving in their way. And where more innovative, see outward uh, of the next threat that, that might take an organization by storm. The more adaptive see that policy that isn't working well or, or procedure that might be le- leading people out that we need to include. And so they're trying to communicate that to the more innovative, and they're hitting the same head, of, you know, two by four across the forehead or head against the wall.
0: If the adaptive see, The internal threats more clearly, and the innovative see the extrinsic threats. Then, in terms of team building, particularly when you're doing market analysis or you're looking at trends within a marketplace and how you can fit or adapt to that, it definitely makes a hell of a lot of sense to have a diverse team.
1: So, we we measure diversity wide and well. And many times we think about a problem as complex. Uh, sometimes a problem can be simple and, and it requires you know, a little bit of adaption or a little bit of innovation, but the problems we face today are very complex. And so we need a diverse team, as you said, Marcus, to solve that problem well. So we need adapters and innovators working well together with humility and mutual respect and a safe space for ideas to come together and, and, and work together.
0: So in terms of a facilitator to manage that process, that sounds like a fairly critical role to uh, select uh, for well.
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes people look at the positional leader of of that team uh, and sometimes that positional leader can be closer to the average of the team score or or not. And that creates a lot of different approaches to team dynamics. I will say that uh, another role that we encourage people to define to as someone who could be a bridger. And a bridger is a social role. Uh, any KAI score can play it, but they're they're situated to look at the more adaptive and the more innovative individuals and bring them together and work together uh, to solve the problem. It's a social role and it requires a, a lot of motive and insight and and values for the team to to keep together and work together. Uh, We say we can't coerce a bridger because of the amount of of stress in doing that because they're often coping both ways. They're coping to be more adaptive and to be more innovative uh, in working with a team. Okay,
0: so that then brings another question to mind. If you're trying to solve problems and you have a diverse team, you've got a decent facilitator, decent bridger, how does understanding one another's KAI score affect the uh, level of creativity applied? Because whilst um, you can be creative, both in terms of adaptation and innovation. So I'm really curious to uh, understand how creativity is impacted by being aware of the KAI scores of the team members.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So knowing your KAI score can be huge in terms of understanding how you prefer to solve problems. And I released your score, you know, on the air here because we talked about it previously and, and and that's what we agreed to, but normally we do not share KAI scores. We treat it as uh, sensitive as your DNA, but we do encourage you to share your score, share your score with others. And so if, if we're on a team and we know everyone's KAI score, I can think to myself, we're having a disagreement, but it's not because of our gender or our age or an intelligence or a status or ethnicity. It's the matter of our problem-solving style because we have this gap. And and just because I have this gap with you uh, and we have this disagreement or this conflict, it's okay. It's, it's no rep, no representation of your intelligence. You can be smarter than me and care more about this company than me, but uh, we just, different problem-solving style.
0: In terms of how you team people up in order to tackle a problem, is there an argument to have the adapters and the innovators working separate from one another and then bring them together? Or is it better to have them all work together right from the off?
1: Yeah, it it could be both. It just depends on the process and, and what the outcomes you want are. Uh, if you put adapters in the room together, they get along splendidly well. If you put innovators in a room together, they get along sp- splendidly well. What you can do is just what you said, give each the more innovative group and the more adaptive group a problem to solve, have them work on it, and then have them come together and bring that diversity together. Because what will happen is the, the more adaptive, will see the innovative ideas and say, well, I didn't think of that. And we can make some tweaks here. Or the more innovative, will look at the adaptive groups and say, well, I didn't think of that, but have you considered this? And we can, you know, bring some stuff together. I've learned though, that even in the most decentralized companies and teams, we tend not to put people together by KAI score. We put people together by experience and, and status and whether that status is high or low. And what that does is, is you might find a more innovative team or more adaptive team, and that's okay. Cause then we can talk about our biases. If we're more innovative, we need to consider the more adaptive perspective and we can cope to do that, and, and vice versa. If we're, we have a more adaptive group, we, we need to think about how the more innovative might perceive this work and accept it.
0: So I'm reminded of one of my favorite books of the last year, David Epstein's book, Range. And his thesis is that generalist teams are much more effective in specialized uh, fields because they bring multiple different perspectives, points of view, and it's important as you build uh, a team, not only do you look at their levels of, of adaptation or innovation, but also make sure that you're not operating inside an echo chamber because everybody's been Oxbridge educated or They all come from a similar socioeconomic background. And there's a wonderful tiger in the grass experiment. When you show that picture, often a Western audience will spot the tiger, whereas an Oriental audience will start with the jungle and then describe the tiger. And if you don't see the whole picture, then you're missing out. And so what I've seen time and time again in companies is that They come from a particular perspective and they struggle to see beyond that because they've got blinkers on. So when you're working with organizations, how do you help them take the blinders off?
1: The KAI is a great tool to start that process and recognize that there's a whole other perspective out here that they're missing out. And I completely agree. And the thing that's big right now is interdisciplinary teams, you know, in a research team you might have a historian working with someone who is a biologist working with someone who's an engineer all addressing issues of of uh, covid vaccines for example and all those people might play a particular part in that role but my fear is when people look at conflict they're they're looking at conflicts between disciplines they're saying well that person a history guy or a girl, and this person is an engineering guy or a girl, and they're not getting along because they think differently in different domains. And that might be true, but we also need to consider they could be thinking differently because of problem solving style, which is part, part of their personality.
0: So is curiosity an element of the KI?
1: No. The more adaptive and the more innovative can all be creative. Or excuse me, curious.
0: Okay. Okay. So uh, again... The last couple of years has been a phenomenal education for me. Done you know, 400 interviews, uh, yeah, pretty close to 400 interviews now. So on the Inquisitor, about 350 on the Scale Ups and Hypergrowth podcast. And what's been really fascinating for me is being able to see the connections and join the dots between people from multiple different disciplines. So we've had sales, marketing, leadership, psychology. We've had, People with a behavioral economics background, we've had um, people with a rhetoric background, pricing, HR, and procurement. And what that's really taught me is just how many connections there are. And tackling the same problem from a different perspective really enriches the ultimate solution. I spent 17 years as a trainer of a particular sales methodology and I loved every minute of it but the last 7 months I've been out of that environment and what's been really fascinating is engaging with people who have such a different perspective and it's only enriched what I was doing and I think one of the challenges often is the rhetoric of that and the Uh, the dogma of coming from a particular perspective and not necessarily being open uh, or ready to accept that there may be another view. So my views over the last six, seven months have changed very radically from where they were before, and they were already at the extreme end within my community. But since then, what I've found is that I've been exposed to so many new ideas which obviously feeds my 136 score quite nicely. And I'm just curious about how, what advice you would give to someone like me in order to be able to capitalize on that uh, breadth and diverse uh, range of uh, input without getting so bogged down and uh, lost in the next shiny object. Because that is definitely a challenge for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's, the first part is reflection and and thinking about that question yourself, what would be my advice and, and situating where you're at and asking yourself, where do I find joy in my work and
0: uh, everywhere? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and it's great to be curious because I think, you know, if you're an innovative person and you're curious, you do tend to bounce around from idea to idea and that could be very intellectually stimulating. And in the end it's, it's finding out what, what motivates you the most to do the things that you do. That's why I love StrengthsFinder because when I, pe- when I hear people talk about StrengthsFinder, they are often sharing what makes them happy. You know, If you're achievement-oriented, for example, you tend to be happy when you are doing things and accomplishing things. If you're ideation, of course, like you, uh, you disclose, you tend to be very happy with, with just floating around ideas or brainstorming and brainstorming. But then it's recognizing some people have a lot of difficulty with that, you know, as they perceive you as very different from them. And I really think about it as this, you know, if I were to bring everything down to a core essence, it's really about mutual respect and and humility. If I can understand myself and and recognize my limits and recognize you might be better than me in some way, and and you can help me in some way that we can all get along and, and get going better together. And I think we've we've lost a bit of touch of that in society in general. We've we've all become very individualistic, and and that's what you know often shapes our views. And we're having this this very old conversation: is where do my individual rights connect with societal values? And, and that conversation has been pushed you know a long long way. But for me, it, it's about humility and mutual respect, and recognizing what I'm very good at, and who can do something better than me, and how they can help me
0: again it's veering way off path but uh, it's yeah. an interesting line of uh, conversation mm. because certainly in the west with the greco-roman anglo-saxon kind of culture it is very much about individualism and yes. um, personal achievement whereas when we look uh, further east then a lot of that is about collectivism it's about the community it's about the and gr- um, you know what's good for the group and I've reached the slightly depressing conclusion that we've already lost that race because the Chinese work on 100-year plans. Deng Xiaoping was asked, you know, what was the impact of World War II on China? Now, bear in mind, this was in the early 2000s. And he said, mm, not sure yet. And I think if you look at the way the Chinese have been developing their soft power on a global basis they play a very, very long game. And we're always focused because of the capitalist system, because of, particularly in the last 40 years, this emphasis on quarterly reporting. It's very short term. So again, I'd be really curious to find out how the KAI score within the team uh, enables people to see the short, medium, and long-term implications.
1: Yeah. So with KAI, we really are, playing in the intersection of psychology and sociology. Psychology being the KAI, is measuring a problem-solving style, which is an aspect of personality. Our brains honestly haven't changed that much in the last you know, couple thousand years, but society has and, and shared values has. So if sociology is examining shared values within a culture, we can start seeing uh, a tint of adaption and innovation and culture. So yeah, the Western culture has a, has a hint of, of innovation to it. And, and the Asian cultures have a hint of, or, or tinge of uh, adaption to it. And so that's why people often are surprised when they find out the answer to this, because they think, well, people in China or Japan are probably more adaptive because they have a more adaptive culture. Well, no, the, the mean still holds, the normal distribution still holds. We have very innovative people in China and Japan and, and Korea, but they have the shared values and shared culture. And that culture is very much focused on tweaking and, and improving in and long-term.
0: Interesting. Okay. So I can't resist the opportunity to get some clarification and direction. So what should I be aware of that I need to pay more attention to in order to not piss people off? <laughs>
1: I would say in, in working with your communication, uh, think things through a little bit more. Don't just uh, spout off ideas. And sometimes it's it's journaling or reflecting on how best to say something, not being quite so vague. Both adapters and innovators miscommunicate it's just how they miscommunicate. The more innovative miscommunicate because they're just vague. They haven't thought through all the details themselves. So it'll come to them later. The more adaptive miscommunicate because they. They're vague likewise because they think, well, I know the rules. You should know the rules too. So I shouldn't have to share the rules. And so I also think the more innovative are a little bit more critical of themselves and the more adaptive. The more adaptive will sometimes think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. And what's wrong with following the rules? But sometimes we know we have to go outside those rules.
0: Interesting. Okay. So certainly from the past few years, what I've found is that by verbalizing my idea. Often that will help me to crystallize uh, my thinking. But what I find particularly helpful is where people pick stuff apart. And the idea almost never forms in just perfect clarity. It needs uh, some percolation and a little bit of proving along the way. At the moment, I'm working on a number of strategic alliances because I've seen a gap In e-commerce, I've seen a gap at the top of the funnel uh, when it comes to marketing and sales, and I've seen a gap in the transformation space. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to bring together three, four, five, six, seven different providers who on their own merits are spectacular. But when we bring them all together, and the thing that I'm most excited about is getting our first co-selling opportunity to bring all these together. Because uh, certainly in the lead generation space, for example, I found somebody who has literally unlocked human decision-making. It's a spectacular approach. If you can imagine a less sexy category than a uh, petrol-engined MPV, they managed to help Kia launch the Kia Carnival in the US last month, and they ran out of stock without ever discounting a cent. Now, if you can think, if anyone can think of a less exciting category than an internal combustion engine, the MPV, um, I'll send you a copy of my book. So in the automotive space, Um, now combine them with another technology, which allows you to run your wins and losses in order to identify who your true ideal customer is, and then run that Prospect list against the AI and your ideal customer profile to pinpoint the individuals on your prospect list who are most likely to be receptive to a sales call today and who is likely to be in the next two or three months so that you can focus your marketing and your sales effort on the right places. And then another organization that specializes in using very well choreographed and crafted email sequencing in order to identify and warm up potential prospects. And when you combine these three plus another couple, what we've got is a way of eliminating 95 to 98% of the wasted effort and spend. Now, that then frees up an enormous amount of resource. So you don't have to grow your headcount. What would traditionally have been the work of one person, they're now doing the work of 9, 10, and 14 people. And to my mind, that has to be some of the most exciting work I've ever done, because when I'm able to provide a solution like that, one of the biggest challenges is getting people to even believe it's possible, because their frame of reference is so alien to it. So what advice would you give to someone like me, trying not to scare the bejesus out of people, when uh, you're bringing them something that innovative?
1: Great question. So. Innovators are great at prototypes. They put together just enough to, to make it work and, and then they get excited about the next new thing. So my, my first thought is make sure that, that you do all the work necessary to make this thing detail oriented. And it may require working with a more adaptive individual to to keep building on those details and systems the more adaptive are much better at developing systems for people to be talking with other people to make sure communication isn't lost. Uh, The more innovative aren't as as good at that. And all to say, they can do it. Anyone can do it. It's just, it's just more stressful to, to operate in, uh, you know, outside of your style. And uh, when you're talking to more adaptive people and, and, you know, we're probably looking at 98 99% of the population more adaptive than you because of the normal distribution. It's always about, Getting people to see the new idea within their own paradigm, so if I'm more adaptive, I want to see how this is making things better. I want to see the improvements of what I'm already doing. so I think in in your selling of of your ideas, it's good to attract the innovators that that are alongside with you and think wow, look at look at this exciting idea, but to so the more adaptive, they're going to look at efficiencies and how this can be successful in, in their own paradigm.
0: Excellent, cut. Kurt- Help me understand this. You have a golden ticket, and knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and advise your idiot twenty three year old self?
1: <laughs> I, I would tell myself, everything is going to be okay. <laughs> don't don't rush into anything. don't don't be impulsive. Just hang tight. everything's going to be okay.
0: What's wrong with being impulsive?
1: <laughs> it's good. It's it's fine. Sometimes it has its benefits, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh,
0: it was a KAI joke. There.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I understand. I understand.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so help me understand this. If someone wants to really get to grips with understanding where they are in terms of uh, being adaptive or innovative, what would you suggest people read around?
1: Dr. Curtin has a, a book titled "Adaption and Innovation in the Context of Diversity and Change." It's it's his uh, you know masterpiece really in terms of full description of the theory. The KAI Distribution Center, which now they've renamed to the KAI Foundation, has a lot of case studies, podcasts, research briefs, and, and so on. That's easy to access and and uh, short, so you're not You know, the the book could, could take you a while to read, but the case studies are pretty short and a few white papers up there to, to review, but the podcasts are really good. There's a one series we call the foundation five, which is like the essence of KAI and how it fits into the world and problem solving. And then we have a topical series, which covers everything from diversity, working in, in the COVID era, you know, as remote workers to product development.
0: Okay. I'm conscious that we haven't really given much airtime to adaptives. So what are the kind of questions that someone who's strong on the adaptive end of the scale uh, might be asking themselves in order to be more flexible and be able to be more receptive to innovation?
1: So sometimes uh, the more adaptive could be more receptive to innovation just recognizing the need for, for new structure. And, and we cannot tweak this anymore. We've tweaked the system all we can get out of it. And sometimes we just have to do something different.
0: So do you ever see any correlation in terms of politics? <laughs> uh, sort of conservatism versus progressive?
1: Yeah, I get that question a lot. I would say that uh, we have adapters and innovators in both the conservative and progressive worlds. People when they disagree in politics is really not about problem solving style, although politics hopefully are, are solving problems really, politics is about shared values again so and even if you could rank order values, I think we all in a society have similar values it's just we put more priority in some than others and so you know some people might say, well republicans are are more adaptive and Democrats are more innovative but If you name the issue, you could easily swap that around. And so, uh, really, politics is a disagreement over values.
0: And in terms of motivations, is there any correlation that you've been able to identify between what motivates an individual and what demotivates them based on where they fit on the continuum?
1: No, we would say motivation is uh, independent of style. And so, both adapters and innovators can be motivated or or, or not motivated. I will share some recent research we did with Navy SEALs. Uh, Laura McIntyre, who was in the in the military, completed this work with her dissertation. So comparing motivation to resiliency, these were Navy SEALs who were interviewed, and and we found no difference in how the more adaptive or the more innovative were resilient. But what we found was they were resilient in different ways. So the more adaptive were resilient because they understood the environment and got control from the environment. And uh, the more innovative were more resilient because they thought they could change the environment. And so I think that just speaks a lot to how we approach motivation differently, where we see opportunity differently. And there was a lot more to uncover from Laura's dissertation, of course, but uh, that is the heart of it when you look at structure. If you tweak the structure too tight for the innovative, they get a little claustrophobic and, and they'll, they'll want to go. And likewise, if if the structure is too loose, the more adaptive doesn't know exactly what to do.
0: It's really interesting. I interviewed Lorna Lawless, who is a coach specializing in mental toughness. And uh, interestingly enough, she spends a lot of her time coaching hairy assed MMA fighters. But what was fascinating from that conversation was, it was really about raising one's own awareness so that you can see and recognise what your natural subroutine is or your natural pattern of behaviour, so that when you recognise that you're going down that path, then you can make an alternative choice. And raising that awareness level was the key. And I'm that's certainly what I'm getting from the uh, KAI conversation as well, yeah. is that unless you can adapt and unless you can Recognize that another perspective may be equally or even more valid in the context in which you're operating, then you'll miss out on very strong opportunities. And the biggest takeaway from today, really, is that it's important to to raise your awareness, but also to surround yourself with people who are different uh, to yourself in order to ensure that you get a, a more 360 perspective and then together tackle uh, your problems in a far more creative way that if you're biased in one direction or another, uh, you're less likely to pick up on. Would that be fair? Yeah,
1: that's a great insight. You know, when, when a company is just starting and, and you got a good team, the team works well and, and you likely have some diversity there. If not you should hire someone that is not like you. But the problem is we think because we're not aware of problem solving style and we equate it with problem solving capacity, we tend to hire the the people who think like us because we think correctly, right? and And I think best and and my thinking is better than your thinking because of who I am. That's where we when we get into trouble and that's pejorative and we don't want to go down that road. So we want to hire people who are different than us.
0: A huge blind spot that I see in many organizations, is managers hiring in their own image only weaker. And that's a trap you have to be really careful of, because what that will tend to do over time is it will not only limit your scope for creative problem solving, uh, but what it also do, certainly in the sales environment, is it will uh, limit the scope of the people that you can sell to. Um, Because people tend to sell to people like themselves. And if you've hired people just like you as well, that really narrows uh, the scope. So be very careful of that. And uh, again, strongly recommend that you uh, investigate the KAI. How can people get hold of you?
1: They can email me at ccpsvt.edu. At That's our center's email. They can uh, email to schedule a chat anytime. They can also follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Kurt Friedel, that's C-U-R-T-F-R-I-E-D-E-L.
0: That email address was probably produced by someone who's strongly on the adaptive end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very, very quick and short and uh, works well.
0: Excellent. Kurt Friedel, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Marcus. This was great.
0: So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you know someone who is trying to solve problems and they're getting stuck, then definitely share this podcast with them and maybe investigate the KAI and get in touch with Kurt. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is marcus at laughs-last.com. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.